everyone. Welcome to another bonus episode of the Echo Leadership Podcast. In this bonus episode today, Andy Wood is interviewing Rusty George. Now, Rusty is a pastor, a leader, a husband, a dad, an author, and a podcaster. So there is so much to learn in this conversation. Now, for our regular episodes, we release one the first business day of every month. And you can see all of these and more bonuses along with gaining the episode notes for all of our releases at echo.church slash leadership podcast. That's echo.church slash leadership podcast. Now, let's get ready to jump in to a great conversation with Andy Wood and Rusty George. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Echo Leadership Podcast. My name is Andy Wood, and I'm one of the hosts. I'm honored to be here today with Rusty George. He is the lead pastor of Real Life Church in Southern California. He's also a husband, a father. He's an author. He's written uh, several books, one called After Amen, about waiting on God. Uh, he's been married to Lori, and he has two daughters, Lindsay and Sydney. Yes. So, Rusty, thanks so much for being willing to join us here today. Thank you, Andy. It's a joy to be with you. And I, I know that you uh, you have been in your role of leadership now for 18 years. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. And leadership is a big passion subject for you. I know you you have a podcast called the Leading Simple Podcast. Yeah. And uh, I would I'd love to hear a little bit about your leadership journey, kind of how you you got to where you are, what you were doing before this role, and uh, just unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think. Um, you know, a lot of my leadership journey had a lot to do with, um, you know, as it is for everybody, a lot of relational equity. Um, you just, you build up credibility with people. You ask a lot of questions, you serve wherever, uh, you have an opportunity and opportunities come your way. So I got a job as an intern while I was still in college at a great church in, um, Lexington, Kentucky called Southland Christian church. And it was just a great opportunity because they were a large church and had a great story history. And I got a chance just to be there and to learn from them and kind of learn as an intern. Well, that turned into a job opportunity when I got out of school. My wife and I moved there. We worked there for nine years, and I pretty much said yes to any opportunity I was given. Um, I did whatever was needed. And as a result, that gave me a lot of uh, different job positions and uh, different leadership opportunities, really developed a kind of a, a thirst for that, for learning more about leadership and how to do it. And I think every decade I've learned a little bit more about myself and how I do it best and what's best for me versus somebody else. And then after nine years, we felt like the Lord was calling us out here to California, which I'm from the Midwest. Nobody in the Midwest says they want to move to California. They, I mean, you're from Michigan, you know, we yeah. visit California. We don't live here. Um, and right now with the great exodus, everybody's leaving California to go back to the Midwest, but you and I are hunkered down Stay and, uh, we're, we're, we've been here 18 years and, and, uh, here again, that opportunity came because of relationships and, uh, it's been a fun ride. It's awesome. So when you stepped into your current role, this was your first, uh, lead role. Exactly. Yeah. I was basically an assistant coach for years and finally got the head job 18 years ago. That's awesome. So when you jumped in, tell us a little bit about where the church was when you first began your role. Yeah. So our church was about two and a half years old um, and was really kind of existing based upon, um, you know, the charisma of our, of our founding pastor, um, the excitement of a new church plant and, 
that was really about it. So there was no mission statement. There was no uh, board of directors. There was no budget. It was pretty much kind of a, we'll just see what happens every single week. So when I got here, I had to um, kind of assemble a lot of that quickly. Now, uh, this was where it's difficult for me because I love strategy. I love execution. I love leading from the office. So it's easy for me to sit down in front of a computer and just knock all this stuff out, walk out of the room and say, here's what we're doing. Um, but I, I learned through a lot of hard knocks in my time in Kentucky that in order for a team to follow you, they really need to be in on the decision-making. So we took a retreat. We brainstormed what it was we were trying to accomplish. We narrowed down our mission statement. At the time, there were only five of us on staff, so it was a little bit easier to pull that together. Uh, and then we began to move forward from there. Um, then it was a matter of establishing you know, the culture and, and the board and those kind of things, which um, I, I tend to, I, I went into the opportunity thinking, okay, we can establish a culture and we start from scratch, but you know how it is. Every place has a culture, whether it's good or bad. And yeah. I had to kind of redo the culture into what we were trying to accomplish. What were some of those distinctives that you started to notice that would be different than kind of what you were trying to create? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, our church, and for those that aren't familiar with church planting, there's really two ways to do it. One is what's called a parachute approach. You drop into the middle of nowhere and you just start in your living room with whoever will come. Usually it's just your family the first week, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the second way you do a church plant is it's a beehive approach where you're with a, a current church and then they kind of spin you off with a bunch of other people that will help you generate momentum. That, that's the way our church was. It was a beehive approach that started with 600 people right out of the gate. So immediately they had a lot of momentum. Well, here's the problem with that is when you have 600 people from the sending church show up, they expect you to be an offshoot of the sending church, uh, which wasn't necessarily my personality. And it necessarily wasn't what we were trying to do. Uh, our sending church was great, but they were established for 30 years and discipling people at a rapid rate. We were brand new and trying to reach people very, very far from God who had never been in church before. So we had to think about things differently. I'll give you an example. When I first got here, because the sending church would always do a massive Easter play, they just assumed we would do that. And I had to let them know that's, first of all, we meet in a movie theater. We're not able to do that. <laughs> and yeah. second of all, that's really not who we're trying to reach. Um, that Those tend to attract highly churched people, which we have a different demographic. Uh, there were perspectives on just how I would um, be like the uh, founding pastor. Um, the founding pastor is a really good looking, charismatic guy. That is not me. And so I would often hear from people, boy, not as good looking as the last guy which apparently is a high value in California, uh, not so much in <laughs> Kentucky. Uh, but, you know, just little things like that, the, um, the idea of, uh, in, our, in our vernacular, multiple offerings of ministries and that kind of stuff, like the Sending Church did, we didn't have the resources or the building to do it. So we had to just change, and we had to kind of right-size people's expectations for the kind of church we were going to be. Mm. So I kind of hear you saying like one aspect of it was simplifying everything. Yeah. And, yeah, and definitely. then the other turning, turning a group of people to be much more externally focused. Um, is that, 
kind of a good high level? Yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> I remember hearing uh, the late, great Jack Welch say that when he took over at GE, he had a, a mantra he started, which was they wanted to be number one or number two in every single um, area of business they oversaw. And he said, I said that phrase so much, I was afraid I was going to throw up from saying it too often. And that was when people began to get it. And I, that, that did me well when I got here, because trying to communicate the kind of church we're going to be, um, it doesn't happen in just one staff meeting or one weekend service. We had to say it over and over and over again, and not even just repeating the mission statement, but sharing stories of how it was happening. And, you know, what, what gets repeated gets re rewarded or those kind of, or what gets rewarded gets repeated, I guess is the phrase. And so we, we would constantly reward people by telling their story from stage about how people were inviting their friends and life change was happening. And so those were the things we celebrated, not just how many more Bible studies we added over the last week. Um, it became, this was what we met, what mattered most that really helped. That's good. Have you ever heard of the book, The Myth of Excellence? Uh, I have heard of that. I've not read it. It's an old leadership book. It's probably about 20 years old. And the general concept is that an organization, you can't be great or excellent at everything. So you kind of have to choose right. a few things. And even your customers don't expect you to be great at everything. Right. So people will come, you know, people tend to be drawn to different churches for different reasons. Like in our, in our town, for example, you have one church that's, you know, more charismatic or, you know, different style. So there's all these different styles and people tend to come for a style that they're looking for. So how did you, like, how did you choose? These are like the few things that we're going to be great at. Well, that's a really good question and a great insight from a book. Um, I, I would say, and I'll give you a little bit of background on this. When I was in Kentucky and I grew up in the Midwest, here was the way people did their lifestyle. They were conservative with their lifestyle, but they were progressive with their faith. Here's what I mean by that. They'd been to so many churches and enough church time logged that they were bored with it. They needed something fancier. And so there was always new churches popping up with a new way to do worship and a new way to teach and more creativity that that worked. I got out here and I just thought since California was so progressive that they'd be progressive with their faith as well. So I was trying some of these old things that worked in the Midwest and they did not work out here. They just left people with a deer in the headlights look. So what I discovered was in California, people are progressive with their lifestyle, but they're conservative with their faith, meaning they either have no church background or the church background they have is Catholicism. So they needed us just to be a little bit more relevant than the Catholic mm -hmm. church. Mm -hmm. So I quickly determined, all right, in our teaching style, we are just going to teach the Bible in a creative way that makes sense to people on Monday. That's it. Mm -hmm. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. Don't get crazy with it. We don't have to have tons of, you know, pyrotechnics or anything like that. Let's just, this is what it is. Now it makes sense to people. And so when people tell me that we're true to our name, real life church, that's a huge compliment. The second thing that we decided to focus on was this. I did not like the weight of thinking I had to hit a home run every weekend or else people would not come back. Mm -hmm. And we did not have a building, so there wasn't a lot of stuff to drag people to, meaning concerts and uh, VBS and kids ministries and that kind of stuff. So we decided we were going to put all of our attention into small groups, because if everybody had their best friend at our church, then I can have a bad message and they're going to still keep coming back. 
Mm-hmm. And slowly what began to happen was people felt like they could come on the weekend, bring a friend and they wouldn't be embarrassed and mm-hmm. they could go to a, a small group and they can meet their, their best friend. So that mm-hmm. was what we decided to double down on. That's really good. I love what you said there too, about not feeling like you have to hit a home run every week. Hmm. Um, part of why I think that that's so important because right now for a lot of young leaders, especially in the church with social media, there's so many examples of people that are uber charismatic hitting a home run every week or so it seems. And I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit, like unpack that mindset of leadership. That's, that's not as flashy, but you're getting on base consistently. You know, I think people can figure out if you're being authentic or not. And certainly with, with Gen Z, it's really, really important for you to be real and authentic. And they can, they can spot somebody who's trying to be somebody else. Yeah. When that's the curse of social media, when you get on social media and you see that Stephen Furtick just had 20,000 baptisms, well, you begin to think, man, I'm worthless, but Mm -hmm. you have to keep in mind. And somebody told me this years ago, they said, the key to church growth is right person, right place, right time. And God put you there. And, you know, if it's a business, you know, be you and celebrate others that are being them. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. I mean, I think we've all learned from Chick-fil-A. They're not trying to make a hamburger. They're trying to do the best chicken sandwich and they've done it. And no one goes there and is disappointed. They don't have a burger. So Mm -hmm. I think as pastors, we can typically be really insecure and try to, and it doesn't help that we have all these parishioners coming up to us saying, Hey, did you hear Furtick's message from last week? Did you read Andy Stanley's latest book? You know, did you watch Joel Osteen this morning? I always love that one. Well, no, because I'm here at church working. Um, but just to, you know, to be you, this is who I am. Um, and I, I think that's a lot of kind of growing up in leadership. I mean, don't you think, I mean, yeah. when I was in my twenties, I was everybody, but me, cause I was just trying to figure out who I am. And in my thirties, you know, I think I had to fail a lot to figure out what really worked. And in the forties is when you really begin to get some momentum as to, okay, these two or three things really work. Let's, let's mm-hmm. leverage this. And now that I've turned 50, I feel an even greater resolve of, I think I finally know who I am and what I'm called to do. And I feel like I've got another 10 good years at it to really, really leverage this, um, which I'm, I'm grateful that I've got to that point. That's incredible. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever heard or read anything by Sam Chan, but no. uh, he's been a mentor, some afar, some, you know, some close you know, conversations that we've had. And one of the things that he said is that um, you should try to lead in a way that you peak in your mid fifties. Mm. And a lot of leaders tend to peak early. So yeah. when you peak early, you have to, you have to keep it up. Like you got to keep at that level. And there's like an adrenal component to that. There's like a soul level component to that. Um, I'd love for you to unpack like how, especially over this last year, year and a half, how have you kept, kept yourself healthy? Uh, assuming that you have, um, <laughs> like how, w- what are some things, mindsets, habits that have really helped you? And maybe if, if you could, as you talk about that, Talk about how some of that might've been in play before COVID um, when you got to that point. Yeah. I mean, I love what you just said about not peaking too early. I think for me, I've, I've always viewed things in decades. And so I remember hearing Carrie Newhoff say years ago that look at, 
look at the great musicians. They usually only have about a 15 year run. And then one or two things happen. They just rely on their past, you know, like the Rolling Stones or somebody that keep playing the same hits where they have to reinvent themselves. You know, you look at a Lady Gaga or even a Madonna that keeps reinventing themselves constantly. And I thought, boy, that's a, that's a great lesson. And if I don't reinvent myself, uh, I'm going to get stuck. And so obviously moving from Kentucky to California, you reinvent yourself. But then 10 years later, we moved into a building. I had to reinvent myself. And then 10 years later, you know, we go to multi-site, had to reinvent myself. So there's been this constant level of reinvention. Now with that comes the answer to your question, which is I think every decade I've learned a little bit more about self-care. I think when you're younger, uh, you have more adrenaline, uh, you have more uh, energy and you think, uh, I don't need to rest. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go for it. I mean, because, you know, people are going to hell. So why should I take a day off? Jesus didn't take a day off. So, which isn't true. Yeah. But anyway, I, I, I just, I think I've learned in pre-COVID helped me with this, a couple of things. One, have a clear finish line every day. So 4.30, five o'clock, I'm done. I don't check email. I take the notification off my email. I don't check Slack or text messages. Um, I, uh, you know, settle in with the family. I don't read ministry books. I read books on sports or politics just because they're fun. And I have, uh, I've, I've learned to just totally disengage. Um, the weekend is sacred. You know, for me, the weekend is Friday, Saturday. Occasionally there'll be a wedding or a funeral. But my wife uh, has a small business where she uh, redecorates people's homes and I work for her on Friday. Uh, so that becomes a way for me to work with my hands instead of my mind, uh, mm -hmm. which is very helpful for me. And she loves it. So finding some ways to disengage is, is really, really helpful. I think I heard on a podcast, I don't know who it was, said um, a, a true Sabbath is when you do things with no consequences. So for me to go out and play just nine holes of golf, I think golf's probably about six holes too long. If you go 18, I can go about <laughs> nine before I start to throw things. So, uh, to be out there and I, and I'm not playing for money. I'm not keeping score. I'm just out there with a friend that is helpful for me. Um, journaling, all those kind of things that you've been hearing about are really helpful, but I think it was Rick Warren that said, if you work with your mind, you relax with your hands. So for me, that's the carpentry side. That's the um, uh, cooking. I like to grill and to cook and that kind of stuff. So some of those things were already in place with COVID. COVID hits. Now I'm forced to be at home. I was sure glad I had some of those boundaries already set so I could walk away from the home office and not feel like I was constantly on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really good. So when you, uh, what are some things that you did during that season? Like you kept these practices. Was there anything else that you picked up that helped you? Well, I think those were key. Um, we went on a lot of walks as everybody did. Uh, once they tell you, you have to stay in the house. We all decided to walk, which was really funny <laughs> to me. Um, but in our neighborhood was just a mess of people and dogs. And, uh, so we, you know, we did that. Um, we, you know, doubled down with time with our kids. And, uh, we were getting the daughter ready to go to college. We just dropped her off a couple of weeks ago. So I think, you know, a lot of that was already in play. We watched a bunch of movies together, which we loved and, you know, just trying to create family moments that maybe we wouldn't have had time for before. That's really good. So coming back to this whole concept of peaking in your fifties and you know, the journey of leadership, 
um, there are certain habits that you've put in place. There's certain mindsets that you've put in place. Um, I, I'd love for you to unpack a little bit more about, okay, wh- what are some of the key thinking tools or the ways that leaders should be thinking that allow them to endure th- through the decades and continue to get better? Key frameworks. Oh, that's so good. I, I wish I had, there's a few books I wish I would have had when I first started. Uh, Four Disciplines of Execution has been a game changer for me. Um, Some of Michael Hyatt's work and his uh, daily planners have been so helpful for me because I think for all entrepreneurial leaders, energetic leaders, our curse is, well, I should say it this way, our blessing and curse is we have a million ideas a minute. Mm -hmm. And then if you have that tenacious work style, like Lencioni talks about, then you feel like if I'm going to be worth my salt, I've got to do them all, or at least task somebody to do them. And then if you're not careful, your staff just becomes your errand boys and girls for your crazy ideas, half of which don't work. Mm-hmm. So I think in my twenties, um, I was too idea driven because I was too concerned about, about what everybody else thought about me. I was trying to make a name for myself way too quickly. Um, I wish I would have just sat back and asked more questions, work hard, but ask a lot of questions. Uh, in my thirties, I began to figure out, you know, take some risks. And this was a Jim Collins principle from, um, one of his books about the cannonball versus the, uh, oh, what is the metaphor? Uh, yeah, the fire bullets. Bu- bullets. Yeah, yeah. Bullets versus cannonball. And so I-, I learned how to take small risks to learn how to take the big one. And, and wait on those a little bit. Uh, in my 40s, I learned the value of asking questions down rather than uh, just giving statements down. So, you know, beginning to ask people, well, what do you think about this? Or here's the problem, how would you solve this? And now my wisdom begins to shape their ideas because they're coming up with the better ideas than I am. And now I've learned a tool that I'm using now in my 50s where I just keep an idea file I write every idea down that I have that I might hear on a podcast or from a friend or think about, and I revisit it once a week to see what's really worth it. And most Mm -hmm. of them aren't, Uh, but you begin to kind of to weed through those and figure out what to spend your time on. That's good. Do you use uh, Michael Hyatt stuff to capture your ideas or mostly just for like execution? Mostly just execution. I I love his, uh, the weekly planner, uh, just kind of the discipline of setting down, you know, couple times a year, planning out the six month goals and then the daily and weekly goals, those kind of things. It really helps me kind of determine, all right, this is where I'm going. And I can do all that obviously digitally, but I yeah, kinda, there's I'm something old about school. the paper. There's something yeah. about the paper. I like to doodle. I like to draw graphs and charts and that's fun for me. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's another guy that I love to um, watch his videos. He's um, he's probably like in his mid eighties. And his name, his last name is Adesis. Hmm. And so he, he was the, um, the precursor to the predictable success, uh, like a corporate life cycle. Yeah. And the guy, he has some brilliant videos, but one of the things he talks about is that leaders need two books. They need one book for decision-making and one book for execution. And a lot of times what we tend to do is we mix those books Um, And I love what you're saying here because a lot of what we do as leaders boils down to, do we, do we implement 
um, the ideas, the dreams, the goals, the strategies, and then doing that with people in a way that you're helping them own it and grow and develop as leaders. And sometimes I think that, you know, coming back to that whole baseball analogy, or if you take a football analogy, like I was saying to my wife, Stacy, the other day, I was saying, you know, a lot of times I feel like our, our church, we win, but we're like three yards, three yards, three yards, first down, three yards, three yards. And then at the end, there's like, there were no trick plays. There's no highlights, but somehow they won again. Um, but I think there's, there's something, I don't know. I, I love hearing you. Cause I feel like there's a kindred spirit in that. Like we don't need to impress anybody. It's okay. If there's not a hundred thousand followers on Instagram, but if we keep reaching more people, the mission gets accomplished. Um, and I, I would love for you just to sit, like, as we kind of wrap up our time together, what would you say to that leader, whether they're a business leader or an entrepreneur, they're 25, 30 years old, and they're struggling with that. Like they want greatness. They want their life to count, but they have that, that identity struggle internally. Like what's one key nugget that you would tell them to walk away with? I would say to them, if you're that age, look around. Because all the people your age that look like they are incredibly successful, the odds are they won't be that way in 10 years. And that's just, mm. that's just the tragic fact. I think about the people I idolized in ministry in my 20s. Most of them aren't even Christians anymore, let alone pastors. And there was something about they peaked too early, they burned out, they got caught up in the image, the ego, the fame, the platform, whatever it is. And it's so addicting now, especially with social media, you can have a great Sunday and go home and get on Instagram. And suddenly you feel like a failure because of what somebody else did, or at least what yeah. they reported they did, uh, <laughs> you know, that morning. So like, I was in that room. I know that room was not that full. <laughs> I know. What kind of camera angles are they using? That's crazy. Um, I, I think that you are, somebody gave me a perspective of, don't think about your church, you know, five years from now, think of it. 50 years from now, when somebody else is in charge of it, how are you setting it up for the long run? You know, yeah. how could this be a church that lasts over a hundred years? Cause let's be honest, no church lasts forever. I mean, even the apostle Paul's church plans aren't still going. So they all have a life cycle and then they all produce other churches that have a life cycle and it's the tree and the acorn principle. So how could we, how can we have a hundred year run and how could I set this up so great that the next guy comes in or, or woman and they take it to the next level? And I've taught them the principles of what they can do next. So I would take a, a much longer approach to things. It takes the pressure off of you. And, you know, it, back to Jim Collins, it comes back to that flywheel mentality. It's just a, mm -hmm. a little bit of progress every single Sunday or every single day if it's a day to day business. I think one of the curses we had was we were a, we grew by, you know, three yards every Sunday. And then we get, then we'd take a sack once in a while and something crazy would happen on stage or whatever it was, you know, and, and then we moved in our building and, you know, you're in California, when you open a new building, people are just ecstatic and they come from all over the place. And we tripled in size in like uh, six months. So we thought, ah, oh, we got the world by the string. Here we go. And then all kinds of chaos began to happen. And we went back to just three year, three yards here, three yards there. And something in my soul kind of died. I thought, oh, now I've screwed up. Now I've messed up because it's no longer the rocket ship anymore. But you know what? That's the norm. The yeah. norm is three yards. You know, the Hail Marys, um, 
the, the, the long bombs, that is not very common. So celebrate them when they happen, but recognize it really is about how you finish, not just how fast you get to the next round. So good. Rusty, this has been such a great conversation. I'm grateful for your investment in our Echo Leadership Tribe here. And uh, if people want to uh, follow what you're doing and uh, just kind of look at your, your church, your podcast, tell us where we can go for that. Absolutely. Just go to pastorrustygeorge.com. Uh, there's blogs and messages and funny videos and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but you can also subscribe to the podcast, Leading Simple, uh, because I like to simplify things. And so we have a lot of fun leaders on and uh, talk about how to make it simple for everybody. Awesome. Thank you so much. Rusty George, everybody. What an amazing conversation. And I hope that this encouraged you and that you were able to take down some notes of some next steps to take this week in your leadership. Again, you heard Rusty mention about his resources, his blog, his books. All of those are available at pastorrustygeorge.com. That's pastorrustygeorge.com. So go check them out. Give him some love from the Echo Leadership community. And then we look forward to seeing you at the first business day of every month when we release a brand new podcast to help you get better as a leader. You can find out more information and sign up to be the first to know about those at echo.church slash leadership podcast. That's echo.church slash leadership podcast. And we'll see you soon in a future episode.